0: I think we're even like post-Judith Butler.
1: That's some somebody sex scene. Yeah, it
0: made me want to get a radio.
1: I like books that take bagels seriously. Welcome to Literary Connections. We're friends who started a podcast because we live on opposite sides of the world and we're just using books to stay connected. I'm James Earl, completely unable to start dance parties on public transportation in Milan, Italy.
0: And I'm Melissa Hansen, who doesn't necessarily have dance parties, but definitely has singing parties on public transportation in the Bay Area.
1: Well, this week we are reading One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. Do you have any thoughts on it before we get started, or do you want to just jump into the summary?
0: I think we should just jump into the summary. I just want to get to the meat of it. Yeah. Okay. So in this book, it is about this girl named August. August has recently moved to New York and she's recently moved into this apartment with a bunch of other misfit people who are just really well adjusted, even though they're misfits. And they instantly take a liking to her. And so she all of a sudden has like a newfound family in New York, but she's still feeling like a little bit out of sorts. And so one day she's on the subway and she spills coffee all over herself and she's like, shit, shit, shit. Everything is ruined. But then a super hot girl comes on the train and is like, oh, let me help you and gives her her beautiful scarf. And from that moment, when their eyes connect, they are instantly in love with each other. From then on, they sort of like have like a romance but like seeing each other like in the subway. August finally asks this girl out and the girl says, no, (gasps) shock horror. Why would she say no? She was totally vibing. All of a sudden August realizes that she has never seen this girl off of the subway. And it turns out one third of this novel is played straight. And then all of a sudden there's a huge twist (laughs) that this girl is secretly on the subway from some sort of like time electricity jump situation and that she's actually from sometime in the 70s. And then it just becomes this huge mission. How do they get her off of the subway? What time will she return to? And then while that all happens, there's also like lots of fun hijinks with all of her found family in New York. So the ones that she meets at her diner, the one that she meets at the local drag show, her neighbors in her apartment. And so it really is about her creating this family for herself in New York while also, wait for it, she's also solving the mystery of her disappearing uncle. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things happen in this book.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of plot in this book. Like what you just outlined was the A plot and maybe the C plot of the missing uncle. But there's also the B plot of a beloved New York City diner that needs to be saved that she works at. A D plot about her roommate and the drag queen next door and a will they, won't they so there's just a lot of different plots going on.
0: Yeah, although I do like that the A plot and the B plot magically line up together, which they totally would if this was like a Netflix rom-com, where like in order to both save the hot girl from the train and save the diner, we have to throw a giant party. Yeah, and it'll accomplish both.
1: <laughs> right. And that just felt if
0: really we crazy. just
1: throw a big enough big party. party.
0: we can solve everything oh yeah and then it solves the d-plot too because the drag queen and her roommate finally confess that they're in love with each other
1: you just need to have a big enough pancake party
0: big enough party a
1: pancake party (laughs) attention exactly (laughs) all right so let's let's dig into the meat of this one so one thing that I, I liked about it is, is I'm a sucker for the Groundhog's Day, Russian Doll, Before I Fall, repetition of the day plot because there's this like detective story where you need to figure out what the key to break this cycle is. This book shared some of those elements where this woman has been riding this train since 1978 and you have to solve the mystery of how do you get her off the train, like how do how do we get, like break the cycle of this monotony? And usually in these kinds of books, the answer is like altruism or something like this. But in this book, it wasn't, I don't know, it was, it was more complicated or at least it, it's given me pause to think more about.
0: Yeah. I struggled with this a little bit because the hot girl on the train, Jane, felt a little like manic pixie dream girl for me Mm -hmm. in a way that I was feeling very strongly. Like the entire novel actually felt like the thing that solves it is August displaying agency. Right, it felt like the thing that broke the spell is her coming into her own and saying like I love you in the end and like kissing her in the end and it's like I will sacrifice myself just in case like I can get you to be free. Um and I think there were like a lot of moments where August originally was a very passive character in the beginning like basically her roommates instantly take a liking to her which I kind of hated. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. where
0: it's like they're like oh you're immediately one of us and we're gonna get you a job and everything's gonna be amazing and then they explain it like near the end of the novel where they're like well actually like one of the roommates is psychic and so he knew <laughs> that like this all was going to happen if we accepted you as a roommate um but a lot of things just happen to her her mother happens to her um the job happens to her um and then slowly she figures out what she wants to do and who she wants to be and who she wants to be with. Where it's like, now I want to be with Jane. I want to say I love you. I want to kiss her. I want to become a private investigator and like help other people, like taking the agency therein. And so I think that's the thing that broke the spell, which felt a little weird to me. Like, I wanted Jane to be able to break her own spell, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, I didn't think about her in terms of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing. But, like, her situation, being stuck on a train, necessitates her being a fairly static character where her character arcs are are limited because her location is limited. And really, she can only develop within the relationship to August. So that, that, that is something that a Manic Pixie Dream Girl would share. Uh, it's clear that August's moral development happens through Jane. It also happens, I guess, in some ways through the the friends that she makes in the house. And I feel like you're right. Like they they take to her right away. They are all these really well-adjusted community of people who just follow their passions and are really good friends to each other and super supportive and never make mistakes. I feel like this is this is like its own genre of YA these days, where there is a character who's a bit of a mess that's usually the protagonist, and then there's, like, a friend that just acts perfectly all the time. And sometimes it's the romantic partner. Like, to all the boys I've loved before, like, the boy there just sort of lets her be a mess for three books and acts nearly perfectly in every situation. In Felix Ever After, there's the, the boyfriend love interest who is just perfectly well-adjusted and acts like it's almost like providing a model for young people. Like here's how you don't be a total a-hole in relationships. I'm going to continue to knock her so that if my students listen to this, I'm saying a-hole. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess it is true. Maybe it's a reaction to the Edward Cullen of it all. Like there were all these really problematic love interests for a long time who were like stalkers. Yeah. And people were like, mm, we can do better. Yeah.
1: I mean, I really liked the friend in the house that was the artist that used to be an electrical engineer.
0: Yeah, there was that and the one who was, like, going to be an architect and then became, like, a tattoo artist.
1: <laughs> right, right. And then that all their specialties, like the electrical engineering, that becomes super important. So she just, like, randomly has this incredible skill set that she can use to save Jane because of the power surge that needs to be implemented.
0: Yeah. I think what I'm struggling with with her group of friends, and I'm not sure whether this is like a positive or a negative, is they're all so well adjusted.
1: Super accepting, super inclusive, default to sympathy and understanding.
0: Yeah it almost feels too unrealistic. Everyone's just too supportive and accepting of each other. And I think that was like necessary right? that that's part of the story is contrasting what it was like in the 1970s for the queer community versus like what it is now and can be now mm-hmm. if we do default to sort of these accepting behaviors. And especially like the author writes and her author's not like, you know, frequent and sponsor your local drag shows and Chinese restaurants and black diners. Like there is this element of like, this is what we could be Yeah. if we let ourselves.
1: Yeah. And it seems like Jane's generation valued toughness and like, being able to stand up for yourself and August Generation tends to value fairness and empathy. And, like, there are these two different pictures of that community presented in the book and, and compared. And I don't, I don't think the book, like, takes a side on which is more effective or more necessary or whatever. But it's
0: like, just shows the progression. There is a question to me of, like, is it showing, like, an unrealistic progression? I kept on coming back to um, Lindsay Ellis's YouTube video about Rent. hmm And I feel like the title of it is something like um, Rent, Look Pretty Without Doing a Damn Thing. (laughs) That's not the actual subtitle, but it's something like that, Right. where it's trying to make a commentary on the AIDS crisis and how much it impacted the queer community and still impact the queer community. But there's something in, right, in the original La Boheme, the Mimi character dies. Like, that's a huge point in the end of, like, Mimi dies, Mm -hmm. like, take, I don't remember what the disease was in the original. Tuberculosis, cholera, one of those. Like, take this seriously. Like, there is tragedy in life. And in Rent, Angel dies, but Angel is perfect. And so then that spurs on everybody else to reform. And then also Mimi lives in the end. And it almost like sidesteps the seriousness of the, the crisis. And I think that's where I struggled with this one was how much is this like a truly idealized version of like what 2021 can be? And it's like, it's all beautiful in the end. Jane comes to the, to the future and it turns out like her sister has like a gay son yeah. and everyone's beautiful and accepting. And it's like, right? I don't actually think this is where we are as a society, unfortunately. Yeah, it's
1: like the bigotry was all happened in the 70s. And so you the missing uncle, Augie, is the one that took the abuse and was kicked out of his family. And it happened to Jane back in the 70s where she endured that trauma and the AIDS crisis. But now... August just moves to her house, and there's a super accepting drag queen next door, and everybody loves each other. That's true.
0: But maybe that's, like, fine. I think that's the thing, is i was struggling with, like, maybe it's fine, because, like, again, the A plot, B plot, and D plot are solved by a giant party. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah, right. In, in previous episodes of this, you have wanted there to just be like, why can't it just be fun? And, and so so this one actually gave us that.
0: You can't make me happy is basically what we're learning. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's because the book is written so seriously. Yeah. Like I can't tell like how self-aware the book is. Like it doesn't feel like it's tongue in cheek.
1: I mean, the book was really funny. Yeah. There are some scenes in the house early on, like with the fortune telling best friend and everything. Like it, it's funny. The drag queen's name is Annie Depressant. She's the the drag mother of serotonin. So like, there are some pretty funny jokes in here.
0: Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. There were tons of funny moments. I think the thing is, it felt like a very grounded book, which is why all of a sudden when there's like this sci-fi twist, you're like, wait, is this a world where this sci-fi twist would happen?
1: Yeah. And, I mean, there's it, it, a also, fortune yeah. teller that we're just like, we're <laughs> asked to assume is actually a fortune teller. <laughs> But I, I do see where you're coming from. Like, there's a lot of real world stuff that's happening in here. Like, the mother daughter relationship is really a serious one, and where the the mother is just spending all of her time and money and resources to try to solve this case of the missing brother, and that strains the relationship in this really re- real way. So yeah, there's there's all this like very serious stuff, and then there's this wild fantasy
0: yeah and then also like so there was a part of me that didn't want jane to come to the future mm. like part of me wanted her to be able to like return to the past and like live her best life i think because there's something about me that loves a good bittersweet ending
1: i'm realizing now we didn't give our spoiler alert but oh <laughs> uh that's that's fine Spoilers. i mean if, yeah if people are here this is episode seven i mean we've already made it to episode seven yeah. people people should know we're gonna spoil things exactly yeah.
0: Like she knew the guy at the diner, like
1: who used to be a stud,
0: who used to be a stud. (laughs) And then like she meets him in the present and he like just gives her a weird look. And then it's like, ah, whatever.
1: Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about the diner for a second, because the diner's name is Pancake Billy's House of Pancakes. Being that this book actually uses the phrase unstuck in time, which I feel like has to be a reference to Slaughterhouse-Five and Billy Pilgrim, who's the original unstuck in time. Well, I guess I don't know if he's the original on Second Time, but he's certainly the one that comes first to mind. I've
0: never read Slaughterhouse-Five.
1: That's cool. That's cool. I I got you on this one. Thank you. So (laughs) Slaughterhouse-Five, you got me on Rent. I got you on Slaughterhouse-Five. Slaughterhouse-Five is a story of Billy Pilgrim who witnesses the firebombing of Dresden and becomes unstuck in time after this. Basically, the thing is like an allegory for post-traumatic stress disorder and like the ways that little things can just take you from the present and throw you back into the past and sort of move you around like that. As I was reading this, and it's very clear that Jane has become un- unstuck in time, she's got a job at Pancake Billy's, which just which seems kind of magical. I was like, okay, like the answer to this is that Jane became unstuck in time because of a traumatic event. So I was waiting for there to be like some sort of really intense encounter that she had on the subway that then basically, like, threw her into this unstuck-in-time trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder experience. And then it turned out that the reason that she became unstuck-in-time was uh, her friend puked on the tracks, and and she saved his life, and then the, the blackout of uh, New York City in 1977 happened.
0: Yeah, I mean, she does get to be a hero in that instance, so she did, like, sacrifice herself through a, like, heroic act – I think what's interesting about it is it loops back around to like how Jane was saved by August. I'm still a bit confused about how August powered, like how their chemistry worked. Mm-hmm. And I think there was something that I thought that was going to happen around the fact that Jane and August's uncle were very, very close, especially because like August was named after her uncle. Yeah, that there is something that was like right. hereditary. Yeah, there's about clear it.
1: doubling that's going on yes. with their names.
0: Right, and there's, like, chemistry between her and August, like, that sort of kinship from the first generation, like, following, like, and that sort of link. And I actually thought there was going to be a lot more to the mystery of her uncle than he was dead the entire time. Yeah,
1: Well, don't we find out that he wasn't dead the entire time? At the very end, we find out that he actually lived in California pretty happily and had a a boyfriend and had a whole life and then died in a car accident
0: yeah but i think he died in the 70s like he died very quickly like after he was supposed to be reunited with Mm -hmm. jane and so part of me was like hoping for an ending of it where like jane went to the past and then she like ensured that august didn't die or something like that like something a little more triumphant um and then like became like a like a like an even bigger civil rights activist, and opened t- and had started her own zine, and just like <laughs> yeah. brought forth the future that she had seen that was possible by living in this world yeah. of August and her friends, but that version doesn't allow like the two main characters to like make out, right, and be happy, right. so right.
1: right, and have that steamy, yeah. that steamy subway sex scene. Uh, One thing I want to get your opinion on is how seriously this book takes popular culture, which I really appreciated. And it goes from everything, there'll be these funny lines, like, this person swoops in like Brandon Fraser in The Mummy, and so it, like, uses these references. Um, But also, like, Jane's salvation happens in part, like, sure, it happens because of her relationship with August, but it also happens because of her connection to pop music, and... The smell of pancakes. Like, that these things don't just exist for us in the background. That these are actually the things that anchor us to our reality. And so it was nice to see popular culture just taken so seriously in a book.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm really excited about the Brenton Fraser, like resurgence that we've seen. It, like, wait, is
1: he? I have no idea. I just thought he, like, disappeared after Encino Man or whatever.
0: Well, there was, like, a whole thing about how he was actually being, like, sexually harassed in Hollywood and ended up getting a little bit blacklisted. But now he's, like, in a TV show with Tom Welling. It's probably a downgrade for him. Upgrade for Tom Welling.
1: Cool. Brandon Fraser resurgence.
0: He is back in business. So very exciting to see a reference to that. But yeah, I think the element of pop culture, especially the way that they would dedicate music on the radio to each other. Yeah. I think that was also the interesting thing about it is I had forgotten that there was a time travel twist when I started reading it. Mm-hmm. I, and I was just, so I was reading it straight and I was like, oh, when Jane says, yeah, I listen to cassettes because they're like vinyl, but I can carry them around. I was like, oh my God, hipsters in New York are the worst. <laughs> yeah. But I totally believed it. I was like, yeah, that definitely is something someone would say. Right. But like the ability to like have that element of connection to the past that allows you to have connection to others in the present felt very strong to me
1: because we think about these things in popular culture as trivial Frivolous. frivolous superfluous right we think about them in these terms but like they actually do build community like they they do allow us to connect with each other and in this book they help us connect to our previous selves and past times and whatever I mean, this is something I saw with a bunch of the plots. This seemed to be a common theme that's part of the pop culture, but also part of the knife, like the symbol of the knife that has been passed down from her missing uncle through her mother and to to August is this idea that like this thing can really help her. She uses it in her detective work. She can pop windows and, and stuff like this with the knife. And so it's like something that actually helps her survive and like be her authentic self in the real world, but it's also a connection to the past. It's like the past has bequeathed her the tools to deal with what's going on in the present. And that's like in the plot of her being a detective. But also, this is true of the fights that Jane and her friends were doing in the 70s. And it has equipped her community in her house with the tools to support each other and to like operate in the real world. There's Billy's House of Pancakes, which has its investment in the past that then carries through. And these are all things like, you know, pancakes and queen. Like, these are not things that we think of as, I don't know, things that can offer salvation. But in fact, like, that is the way that these characters are redeemed in this book.
0: Yeah, and this idea of what should be permanent. I think there's like a lot of thought that's being put into like, oh, like in order to like move forward as a society, we need to dismantle what came in the past. Mm -hmm. And I think this book does a really good job of saying like, we're not like completely dismantling the past, nor are we offering like a complete lack of grace for people who have not been perfect. Like I think August's relationship with her mother as well as her grandparents is an example of this. But there are certain touchstones of humanity that we all hold sacred and that will continue to link us as we move forward, like pancakes. Yes. Yeah. Pancakes will always be our great unifier, unless yeah. you eat waffles, I guess.
1: And you make enough of them and yeah. all the plots will be solved. Mm-hmm. In fact, when you were just talking about this, the relationship of August to her mother and then the relationship with the grandparents, there were a lot of examples of motherhood in this book, and I don't really know what to make of it. Like, I don't have any clear, fully baked thoughts about this, but I'll, I'll just pitch it. Because we've got August's relationship with her mother. It's got problems, but it's also very real. Like, they they do support each other. They want the best for each other. They check in daily. If they don't check in daily, it's a notable thing that sort of stresses them both out. You've got August's mother relationship with her mother, which is bad. Like she blames her for her brother's disappearance. She blames her mother. Uh, you know she doesn't accept charity from her mother or inheritance. It's just uh, unwillingly takes money for August's school. And then you've got the examples of motherhood, like in their house, where there's the drag mother of serotonin, and there are these other examples of motherhood that we see. And they're sort of all over this book. So I've, I don't really know what to think about it. But let's see if, if there's something to be gained from this conversation.
0: About mothers? Yeah. I feel like that's like the original conversation of all things.
1: Yeah, people's was, relationships with their it mothers. It all begins.
0: all begins there. I almost wish that that had been pushed a little bit more, if anything. Mm-hmm. like I felt like that was a very nascent theme that we could have yeah. really dug in deeper.
1: There's also Jane's relationship with her mother. It's another important one.
0: Which I wish we had seen more of. Like, we get hints of the relationship Jane had with her family that caused her to leave San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But it felt like we could have unpacked that more, especially the idea that she was willing and to move back to San Francisco and potentially reconnect with her family um, once August moved there.
1: That's super interesting, yeah, because there's the, like, mothers is a reason why people move. And so there's this idea that Jane is unstuck in time. But also before that, she was unstuck in place. Like she had to move and continue to move. And August obviously had to move and then continue to move. Sorry, Augie, the uncle, had to move and then continue to move. And then August does kind of need to step out from underneath the obsessive nature of her mother and, and take up shop in New York. And so there's like this becoming unstuck in place that happens because of mother's. I wonder if there's something, if I read it more closely next time, if there's something with the positive mother example of antidepressants and serotonin, if there was something about, like, moving there to be there. I mean, certainly in their house. I don't know if there's anything that's, like, particularly motherly in their house, but you sort of get this impression that like, People are going to stay in that house. Like, so even that couple that's going to get together, they're sort of committed to that found family.
0: Yeah, and I think there's there's a line where, like, um, Jane and August both say to, like, Nico, like, thanks, Dad. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Like, yeah. there is that sense of, like, I think therapy would call it, like, reparenting mm. that one does for yourself as a compensation for your childhood. But there is this idea of, yeah, because everyone is moving to all these different places, all these different characters throughout the book. And then the final thing that we see is jane and august going to san francisco right. um, which is jane's hometown right, where her parents and are, where her parents are they're still alive and also all of her vinyl records are there
1: yeah
0: <laughs> um and she asks august to call her by her birth name yeah there's like a return there that's like very interesting mm. from all the travels
1: that is interesting and it makes me think that the accusations of Manic Pixie Dream Girl might be redeemed in the end there because there is a self-actualization of her going by her birth name. And so she does have that arc. There is a return home. And she then becomes un... un wait. She becomes stuck again in time and becomes... with the The assumption is, anyway, that she'll become stuck again in place.
0: Yeah, I guess there's a part of me that thinks that Jane would have done that regardless. Mm-hmm. Like, she was already planning to move back to California she had a friend who was like living a very, very happy life Yeah. in the Bay. I felt like eventually Jane was going to reach the exact same place. So I think that's where I like struggled with that is her journey just felt so independent of August's Yeah. or not independent of August. It's like Jane had like her own life, but August was like the main yeah. character and Jane's growth was just sort of, like, incidental to the book.
1: Yeah, I, I do. I totally agree. Jane's growth is incidental to the actions of the book and the drama with the Pancake House and the drama with August. However, there is this one bit that sort of stressed me out in the end of the book, and it was this idea that August is entirely responsible for Jane's salvation. Like, she is the thing that keeps Jane in this time, and, like... She is the link to her memories and all this stuff. And just the pressure that that puts on August to be literally everything to somebody. The only person that can offer salvation is this one person. And to have that on you, like, you better care. Like, if August was only, like, half into her, I feel like there would be some real guilt involved.
0: I think it was almost through Jane and through her found family in the apartment. August had that pressure her entire life from her mother.
1: That's true, yeah.
0: That she was her mother's everything, that she had to work, become an investigator for her mother, but she didn't want it. I think that there's a difference between feeling a sense of obligation between people and feeling a sense of love mm-hmm. and willingness of sacrifice. And I think that that's what I saw August find throughout her New York adventures.
1: That That is interesting. So then we're we're sort of adding in another unstuck stuck arc there because she's unstuck in time she was unstuck in place and she was also leaving a romantic partner in every city so she was unstuck from romantic attachment or something like that and so this dependence on august in in the end of the book is also forcing her to stay stuck in romantic engagement which leads to her becoming stuck in time again and that leads to her becoming stuck in place again
0: I think that that also, honestly, it was, like, one of the things. I'm, like, when we found out all the litany of <laughs> girls that Jane had dated, I was, like, but why August? Yeah. Is it just because, like, you don't have a choice because you're stuck on this subway? Yeah. yeah.
1: Right. Spilling coffee on oneself is not necessarily, like, oh, this lady's different.
0: Like, it was it was definitely, like, an adorable meet you. Yeah. And they obviously, like, had chemistry. But I think that's why I was, like, I was really searching for this, like, connection to her uncle and this, like, intergenerational, right like, chemistry trauma, something that would, like, link them, or that they would have found out about the uncle's relationship much sooner, which would have linked them to, like, solve a mystery Mm -hmm. together. Yeah. And they would fall in love throughout that.
1: Yeah, the fact that Jane just had the answer was like, oh, yeah, your uncle, I know, I know what happened. Like, they didn't engage in an authentic quest together. It was just... August trying to solve the mystery and Jane just trying to remember her past. And I mean, there was a relationship between those two things, but it wasn't we're going on a quest together kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it was just like Jane was just very passive. It's like, I will be here while you find me my perfect bagel. I will, yeah. I guess I'll make out with you yeah. to like remember what yeah. happened to me in New Orleans. I
1: like books that take bagels seriously. Yes bagels queen pancakes mm-hmm. this book takes them all seriously
0: i mean doesn't take bagels seriously her favorite is like a chocolate chip bagel
1: <laughs> yeah but that's called out as crazy so <laughs> i think it did
0: <laughs> the, i guess it shows that she's not a true new yorker that's probably right, why she right. returned to san francisco is yeah. she can't enjoy an authentic new york bagel. she's
1: immune to normalizing pressure and yeah. and continue to order it <laughs> even though she got the dirty looks every time yeah. I mean that is a key characteristic of Jane actually that she is immune to normalizing pressure. So, yeah, that makes sense that she would order peanut butter and jelly on a bagel. Pass. What's your order?
0: I literally just got bagels yesterday oh, because nice. they have the new bakery that's in the East Bay, Boycheck Bagels that was written up in the New York Times as the best bagel in America. New York is like out, the Bay Area is in.
1: I mean that that's quick baby. Uh... You're going to get every <laughs>
0: I mean, I waited in line like 30 minutes, and they were real good bagels.
1: But what's your order?
0: Oh, yes. I got an everything bagel with chive cream cheese. Ooh. And then if I'm feeling bouge, I'll do the full like lox, red onion, caper situation. I do yeah. love it in New York, they always have like an egg everything. And I feel like you can't get that anywhere.
1: That's what makes our bagel places better than everybody else's. <laughs>
0: What's your order?
1: Well, I'm a Long Islander, so I go bacon, egg, and cheese on and everything. But if we're just doing like, if I'm in Brooklyn or somewhere else in New York, I'll just go with an everything with a a chive cream cheese smear. So good. The best. Um, All right. To bring this back to the book... One thing I'm struggling with that I, I honestly don't have an answer to is what is the connection between the A-plot and the B-plot? Like usually there's some sort of thematic connection, like other than...
0: Pancakes can save everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> other than they can both be solved with enough pancakes. Because you've got the saving of this old establishment and you know screw the landlords buy the place yourself arc of billy's house of pancakes and then you've got the jane arc and i just don't i don't know i couldn't find anything that came to mind to link them
0: i mean one pancakes can solve everything
1: all right let's talk it through let's talk this through it's the pancake house arc what are the things that that points us to like what are the big themes in that plot line we've got Fuck landlords!
0: landlords. We're not gonna pay rent. Yeah, we're not
1: gonna pay rent. You also have the that this is something that links New York to its own past, so there is that, which could be something good to mine. Is it the hostess who has been there, and it was like her the thing that like saves her life that she's been there forever, and it's just this like tough talking New York waitress slash hostess at the Pancake House, and so there's this like that this place has been a home for people who needed a home or like needed a family and they've come there it's described multiple times in the book as being magic in in the way that it like has this community of people and is like old school yeah maybe maybe it's just this like the necessity of the past in the future maybe that's the theme that holds them together
0: and there's something interesting that i feel like could have been linked a little bit more but august is a terrible waitress when she starts Mm -hmm. and there comes to be some sort of importance like the reason that other people are better at it is like you need to pay attention you need to be listening you need yeah. to be present and august isn't that
1: which is ironic because like as a detective she's very present about like what's going on and observing everything and remembering everything but when it's her employment at this like, restaurant yeah. she's just terrible at it
0: right and so i feel like there's a similar thing where it's like She isn't able to place the restaurant initially, and she can't place Jane either. Mm. Like, she's able to, like, dissect everyone else on the subway accurately, but not Jane, but not the Pancake House. Yeah. And I think if I was going to, like, change one thing here to, like, link up the A plot and the B plot is I think there needs to be more magic in the book. Mm. Like, I think there should have been something genuinely magical about the Pancake House because I think that when there's only like a couple of things to suspend your disbelief, that's where it feels weird in an otherwise grounded book. But I think if it was, both of these things are magical and deserving of being saved. And there's a link there that would have made more sense to me.
1: Yeah, I think they both have this like stressing the importance of not dismantling our past and not just putting in another, I think they said, like it's going to be a high-end juice bar.
0: Or a Cheesecake Factory.
1: something like
0: that. (laughs) They said either was an option.
1: So like keeping that like grittiness that Jane represents, like remembering the battles at Gen X, or would Jane count as Gen X? Well, remembering the battles that they fought and the ways that they needed to fight them and like offering grace when that generation needs it. And then also like offering grace when that pancake house can't afford rent anymore. And finding ways to save the past. I don't know. Jane's a straight boomer. Oh, geez.
0: I think that was the other thing about her coming to the present. Is she just like? It seemed like the only thing that she really needed to learn oh, yeah. was like pop culture and like how to say Wi-Fi. <laughs>
1: this is, yeah, this is definitely this was my biggest suspension of disbelief. I can actually handle the fact that somebody was stuck on a train for since 1977 more than I could handle that somebody from 1977 could just show up in 2020 and not have their brain literally explode when they hear about a smartphone. Yeah. Like that is insane.
0: And then already she was, like, at the cutting edge of gender discourse.
1: Right, right. She just jumped straight to, like, Judith Butler-level understanding of queer discourse. Yeah. She's...
0: I think we're even, like, post-Judith Butler.
1: Post-modern queer theory right there.
0: Like, I mean, I think this has, like, actually been, like, a pretty big tension in the feminist movement. Yeah. And especially... For within like old school lesbians has there's been a big tension between
1: a real Jane would definitely be a turf yes for sure and I
0: was like I mean in an ideal world this is like totally makes sense but like there's no way she could operate a smartphone and there's no way that she isn't going through a turf phase I just I'm like this is does not make sense
1: No, she, yeah, she just understood everything way too fast. I mean, I would understand if she, like, got joy division and, like, understood that and then was like, okay, what what's the next thing? And, like, went through some progression, but she just joined straight to Spotify.
0: She did take a detour into some radios. I did get nostalgic for radios. Yeah,
1: and call-ins and mm-hmm. being able to request a song and then hearing it. Yeah. That hasn't happened to me since, like, 2002 or something.
0: Yeah, it made me want to get a radio. But then I think I would get really annoyed. Oh, yeah.
1: Big time. All right. We want to talk about what we're going to read next. Yeah. Looking at our backlog of books that have been recommended to us from people engaging with us at our Twitter handle at lit underscore connections. I see that we've got The House of the Cerulean Sea by TJ Klune. And I've heard some good things about that Ooh. from the youths in my class.
0: I mean, you know, I love a good youth recommendation. Um, they keep us hip. The f- summary starts with the phrases, a magical island, a dangerous task, a burning secret.
1: Looks like we might be taking another dive into fantasy. Yeah. I mean, one last stop, I guess, was fantasy. It just It was like <laughs> fantasy. You're right. It just didn't feel that way. The Pancake House wasn't magical <laughs> enough.
0: Let's go full magic. Let's return <laughs> to a land of yeah, magic. Let's go full
1: magic. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the summary now, too, and it says... When Linus is unexpectedly summoned by extremely upper management, he is given a curious and highly classified assignment travel to Marcius Island orphanage, where six dangerous children reside a gnome, a sprite, a wyvern, an unidentifiable green blob, a ware Pomeranian, and the Antichrist. So I'm in. I'm in. That's wow. all I need to hear.
0: An unidentifiable green blob seems like the most dangerous of yeah, them all. I mean, what is
1: it? It's unidentifiable. <laughs> it's unidentifiable. <laughs> <laughs> okay let's uh, let's commit to that I think I already bought it on my Kindle so I'm ready to go
0: Literary Connections is hosted by me Melissa Hansen and James Earl and we're produced by Kimberly Johnson you can follow us on Twitter lit underscore connections join us next month when we'll be reading The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune.
1: see you next month Melissa
0: see you next month bye
1: all right So uh, next week. Month. Next. Next month. I forget that we definitely can't read a full book and record a podcast in a week.
0: Maybe we could if we were aware Pomeranian. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they could do anything. Certainly if I was an unidentified green
0: blob. Yes, you could. uh, Definitely. go daily. Daily podcasts. Absolutely.